Ladies and gentlemen, episode 35, 36, I don't even know where we're at yet. I'll, I'll, I'll make the adjustment oh, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> hey, it's Rocktown Sports Pod, uh, Rockingham County's only all-local uh, sports podcast. That may or may not be true. It's our story. We're sticking with it, as always. Well, not as always. That'd be, I'd be lying because we haven't opened with you every time, but we're back to the normal here, Cody. We're opening up uh, today's show, or this week's show, with uh, prep writer here at the dnr cody elliott cody what is going on oh not much just getting ready for another week uh a couple more games this week at least we only had we only had a small slate last week so that was that was a little different only three games last week i think we have four this week so yeah we got four this week and i was wondering uh the other night when uh spots was going to get their buy and well my question has been answered spots it's perfect time it, it is it this is i mean yeah i mean this is just the perfect time but you know before you jump into your district schedule Take a week off. It, it, uh, what 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 bet did they win to have that going this year? Yeah, I mean, you know. Then you look at some of these teams. I mean, we've had a lot of teams that have had early buys. I mean, we had East Rock. They had theirs in the second week. Um, TA had theirs after four games. Um, Broadway had theirs. Pittsburgh's had theirs already. Broadway had theirs after two or three games. So you know, a lot of our city county teams have had early buys, which I know a lot of the coaches aren't really big fans of that. So um, yeah, Spotswood got really lucky with that schedule. I remember Robert Casto used to, down at Riverheads used to always like that week one buy. Cause he always really? liked he always liked the, and we're talking back in the days we're talking back in the early 2000s he just liked to have that first week off and then play 10 11 12 13 14 through I don't think you needed 15 to win a state title back in those days it wasn't that many games uh, but anyway I digress Cody let's uh any surprises last week first of all let, I, I I I need to I need to start here okay I need to say that Stonewall Jackson yes. finally gets <laughs> off the schneid ends their 41 game losing streak congratulations to the generals i know that's tough i know it makes you think why am i sticking with this football team why am i stuck with this program but you know hey man you know hard work does pay off and and good on them for getting that win and, and it shows that that's why you stuck around and then two cody i finally finally <laughs> had an upset pick of the week work out for me with page county going up to strasburg and beating the rams yeah i mean that was a huge 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 win for uh page county we talked about that last week about in terms of late in the year with those kind of games are the ones that kind of decide if you get in or not and um you know for them to to take care of strasburg the way they did and even throughout that game i was keeping up with uh i think it was brad falber was mm-hmm. there and you know Strasburg came back and tied it at one point and was 14-14 and then Page went right back down the field and scored um so it seemed like you know they just put together a really complete performance um especially coming off the loss to Larray the week before where they lost by 21 uh to come back and and bounce back like that against one of the teams that a lot of us thought was one of the best teams in the bull run I mean that's a huge win for them isn't the I mean I guess I I don't want to say the bull runs up for grabs because I think now at least in my mind, that it's kind of the raise to lose, and I'm sure someone from Clark County is listening to this and going, hey, time out, <laughs> rewind here, uh, and that's fine and dandy, but I mean, it just seems like everything else under it is just kind of, I don't want to say mess, but it's just like, you know, two through whatever could be anybody. Yeah, I think we'll find out more this week after Luray plays George Straff because then we can kind of compare, you know, Clark, they, they went down and really took care of Clark County and, and shut them down that 21-7 to when George Straff did. So, you know, how George Straff does against Luray um, you know, if they do the same thing to Larry, then all of a sudden we might be putting Larry and Clark more on even even ground a little bit. But yeah, right now I think they kind of look like the favorite. And like you said, I mean, after that you've got Page County there, Clark County, Strasburg, all seem to 
be kind of on the same ground there. And then, um, you know, we thought East Rock was going to be in that conversation. You know, it's been a slower start for them and, and obviously a disappointing loss last week. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, though. It, it seems like after LeRae at the top, they're, they're, it's it's wide open. Well, let's just slide through our, our, our local city-county slate that's coming up Friday, and we will start down in Augusta County. Uh, we're Turner Ashby. uh you know, we talked about this last week. Hey, you lose your first game of the year. Oh, goodness gracious, now you go sit at home for a week. You're on your bye. T.A. comes off the bye. Uh, head down to Fishersville to take on Wills Memorial. I, I mean, I guess, if, and, I, and I don't want to, you know, don't take this the wrong way, Wilson Memorial, but I guess there's a team out there that, you know, gives you a good chance to see how you respond. It's, it's right now, it's Wilson Memorial. I mean, it could be, I mean, I mean, let's see, you know, T.A., I'm off the bye. I go play Riverheads. <laughs> or TAM off by I go play Wilson Memorial. I mean, I think Wilson gives him a better chance to to recover a little more. Yeah, I, the thing that's going to be interesting with this game is I think you have a TA team that we're going to find out a lot about in terms of how they do respond and how they come out Friday night. If they come out sloppy, if they come out you know, or if they come out really focused and just taking care of business, because I do think they're the better team here. Um, but then you look at that Wilson team; they've had some early season struggles, probably a little bit more than we anticipated. You know, I don't think anybody thought they were going to win last week's game against Spotswood, but to be sitting at one and three now, I think is a little bit of a surprise. Um, and so, you know, if they want to have any shot, they're set at number twelve right now in the in the uh, VHSL ratings. If they have any ch- chance of moving up and trying to put themselves in that top eight for the playoff picture, you know, this is a game that they've got to win um, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, if you're sitting at one and four, I think it's, it becomes a lot harder to turn that season around. So, you know, they're going to come out probably hungry, trying to get a win and get back on track a little bit. And then I think TA comes out, you know, wanting to to right their their ship a little bit after that loss to Stanton. So, yeah, I think this will be a, a kind of an interesting game a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just like, you know, I think like we talked about and you said there. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm really really want to see how TA bounces back. I mean, you know, Chris Fraser, head coach there, uh, you know, expressed some concern. Like, oh, can't we can't be like we're in the past. Like, here we go again. I forgot what his exact quote was, mm-hmm. but it was along those lines. And uh, and I think you know he's not going to be the only one watching for that. I think a yeah. lot of people who that three and zero start sparked the interest in. I think a lot of people, and that includes me, and and you know, and, and I think people are going to be watching that. Yeah, I think that you know if they if they come out on fr- on Friday and you know play not very well, or even if they lose, you know they go into district play three and two. All of a sudden, we're thinking, uh, you know, you, it's hard to put them in the conversation as a, as a district contender. Um, especially with how good Spotswood is playing right now. But, you know, if they get a win there again, take care of business, look sharp doing it, and go in a district play 4-1, you know, then all of a sudden that, I think that kind of brings the energy back, that excitement again, and, and all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, kind of TA, Rockbridge, and Spotswood in the Valley District. Uh, let's swing up to a team uh, that, 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 that desperately needs a win. Mm-hmm. And really, I don't even know if they desperately need a win. They just need to hold on to the ball. They need to show marked. They need to show marked improvement in a lot of different facets of the game, and that's Broadway, who's at zero and four. Zero and four. They host uh, a, a very you know a, a, a good Fort Defiant squad, and kind of like I, I guess you can draw some similarities where Fort was two and a half years ago, three years ago, where Broadway is now. Uh, and you know, I don't even think you know if I'm a I mean, fans want to see your team win all the time, and, and bear with me here. This might be a little long and drawn out, everybody, and that includes you, Cody, who's <laughs> stuck here sitting next to me or across from me. I, you know, I if I'm a fan of Broadway, I I'm not even maybe so much concerned about going out there and getting a win. And I know you know you don't want to hear that in the locker room. I think what I want to see is just marked improvement. I want to see you know one turnover. 
in a game. I want to see uh, crisp passing. I want to see good blocking. I want to see uh, a shutdown defense for, you know, four or five three and outs in the game. I want to mm-hmm. see, you know, that's what I want to see, I think. You know, and, and if it equals, you know, the Gobblers got more points on the scoreboard when when the when the, when the, the, the time hits zero, that's fantastic. But I think, you know, I'd rather see some of those other things happening. Yeah, and I think that's what's kind of driving Danny Grohl crazy right now is that um, all the areas that, especially coming off the bye before the Buffalo Gap game, they came off a bye, they did all this work focusing on all these little things. Um, he talked about, you know, wanting to run 15 plays perfectly, and that was it. Um, and they weren't able to do any of that. You know, the first half, it was just nothing but penalties. Their, their defensive line. Um, yeah, jump, the encroachment was, penalties. Was yeah. jumping just nonstop um, with every every time gap move, which was something they prepared for. Um, and then in the second half, some of those turnovers started to come back and bite them a little bit. So, you know, I think that's what Danny just wants. He just wants them to start to put some of the things that they're learning in practice and some of the things that they're working on scheme-wise and start to do it on the field. Um, you know, I mean, they can they can coach them up, you know, as much as they want, but they can't go out on the field for them. And I think, you know, that youth is part of that, and I think that Danny and those guys are, are you know, they're working, they're doing as much as they can, um, you know, and I just think it, it's a tough situation right now. And, and I think that's where you see a lot of that youth come out is in those those silly penalties and, and not learning from the first time you jump, but not jump, you know, two or yeah. three or four more times. So it, it's those little things that I think is what's really frustrating for Danny and his staff right now. Um, and But I, I do think that, you know, Fort's the type of team where they're, they don't, they're not going to put up a ton of points on you. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to sit here and pick Broadway to win this game, but I, I do think that they're the type of team that if they were going to get an upset win over somebody, Fort has the makings of the type of team that you can upset just because they don't have the type of offense that can can put 40 points on the board. Um, if you can get a couple, you know, maybe a turnover too early, get a couple early points, I think, you know, they could find themselves in a good game. Um, but, yeah, they've got a lot of improvement, obviously, from where they are right now. I mean, yeah, and I'm with Danny on this one. Uh, Danny Grog, the first-year coach at Broadway, when he talked to you, it's like, no more excuses. Yeah, you know, and that's what he told his guys, he, you know. You know, no more excuses. They're not young anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you 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 might be young in your age, but you know, you're not young in the football season anymore. And 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 those those encroachment penalties, that jumping off sides, especially when you knew it was coming, you knew that you know they're gonna there's gonna be a lot of misdirection, there's about a lot of shifting pieces in that in that Buffalo Gap backfield. I mean, it you know, it's like it's it's like it's like you know, it's like being in the classroom. You know, you just gotta you gotta know, and it, I think that's disappointing. And and. I mean, and, and it obviously it's disappointing to the players, and it's disappointing to to Danny Grog and his staff out there. But I mean, you know, if you go out there and you lose the Buffalo Gap fourteen to thirteen, you know, hey, we lost to a, a team, and you know that that hit the, you know, went for the two point conversion, the time expired, they got it, and you know, hey, say la vie, let's move on. But I mean, with those kind of penalties and the turnovers, it's just, it's just, you know, I just, I don't yeah, know. I mean, they, and they put themselves in such a hole early because of that. You know, honestly. The rest of the game, they they actually had you know moments where it, I think they looked more like the team that Danny Grog probably thought he was going to be coaching this year. Um, but like he said, even coming into that game, he said they wanted to get out to a faster start because pretty much every game they've dug themselves a hole so early, so deep so early that they haven't been able to get out of it, and that's what they did against Gap. Um, you know, it was fourteen nothing before you felt like the game had even started. Um, you know, they scored on that first drive, and then they they go for a kick, which was another mental lapse. Um, I don't even know that Broadway or that Buffalo got meant to get, go for the onside kick, but it kind of 
floated in between a couple of Broadway guys, and next thing you know, a, a, a Gap guy's there and picks it up. So just little things like that just can't happen, in, especially early in the game. Um, for a team looking for its first win, that's not ever going to get you there if you're starting off every game down 14-21-0. Uh, let's move on to uh, uh, Elkton uh, Friday, where uh, East Rock hosts... Uh a suddenly red-hot Stonewall Jackson uh, team. No, I, I, uh, a no-longer-winless Stonewall Jackson team. Uh, you know, East Rocks, like we talked about, probably not what we are expecting them to be. I think we were expecting hiccups. We were expecting a little not, you know, we weren't expecting a, a 10-0 regular season, obviously. Uh, but at the same point, I think we were expecting more than one win. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, maybe maybe we gave too much credit to, you know, Maybe we, we, I think we kind of forgot how much this team lost, <laughs> to, to be honest. I mean, it was easy to think that it's, it's, you can replace that many key pieces, but when you have that many players and they're able to do that two-platoon system and everything that they were able to do a year ago, I mean, it's inevitable that that's going to be tough to replace, and, and that's, I think, what we're seeing here early. Um, you know, they've looked, they've looked better at times. They looked obviously really good in that Buffalo Gap game, but, um, you know, I think they're not quite on the level of, of competing for that bull run this year with the Clark Counties and Strasburg and, and some of those teams. So the good news is this is a chance, I think, finally for, for them to kind of maybe take a deep breath and maybe get, get back on track here a little bit. Um, you know, I think they enter this game as the favorite. As, as, as red hot as Stonewall Jackson is, I think they enter this one as the favorite. Um, and, and hopefully they can, you know, continue to just get better this week and then, you know, That'll be their first district win if they're able to get it, and then you know hopefully grow from there. I mean, how important is it? I mean, to, to, to get a district win here. Uh, I think yeah, not only get one. I think that you know, considering it is Stonewall Jackson, uh, and again, no disrespect to them, but uh, this is a team that East Rock has always played pretty well and handled pretty well. This is a game that I think they need to come out. And you want if you're Donnie Coleman, you want those guys to just look sharp. Um, you know, no silly turnovers, nothing. Uh, like that so uh, as long as they come out and look sharp and take care of business I think you know it, it's a it's a job well done for for East Rock and it's a little uh little less movement that they're going to see out of that they saw last week in the loss to Clark County it's going to be more of a straight up football game for them uh so maybe a chance for that defense to kind of take a breath and and go out there and just play a normal brand of football, not the. Yeah, I mean, you think they played Buffalo Gap the week before that too. So yeah. I mean, they, and then Riverheads was the, the last opponent before that. So there's three straight offenses that are pretty tricky and pretty tough to grasp, and um, you know, so yeah, this will be a, lot, a chance for them. Yeah, like you said, to maybe take a deep breath a little bit. Uh, finally, our last game is uh, Sharando coming to the friendly city uh, to take on another team. Well, our other team coming off the bye. Uh, that's Harrisonburg, who's coming off to buy two and two, uh, winning two straight after dropping their first two. Uh, this is an interesting non-district game for the Blue Streaks, I think. I mean, Sharando has been historically pretty good. Uh, streaks are young at the quarterback position, uh, but that young quarterback, Keenan Glago, Glago, uh, did we get a proper pronunciation on it yet, or are we still just kind of guessing? I think we're just guessing. Someone <laughs> tweet us how to how to <laughs> use, pro- properly pronounce the, the sophomore quarterback's name. But he's kind of he he's shown flashes. He's been very comfortable back there. But you know this Sharano team's pretty good. Yeah, they are. Um, they're not quite on the level that they have been in previous years. Um, they have already lost two games this season, but they play some really really good teams up there. Uh, I I do think this is going to be a tough one for Harrisonburg, but I think you know this is a chance for for Chris Thurman again to, to kind of take another test of his team and see where they are um, after all the improvement they made in their last two wins, um, especially at, you know at the quarterback spot and offensively and all the progress they've shown. Um, now they've had a bye, so they can kind of implement that more, not just on the fly like they kind of were doing those first two weeks. 
So it'll be interesting to see kind of what they're doing with Quentin Smiley now, um, how much more that offense has developed, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what they come out with on Friday night because, you know, this will be my first time seeing them in person, so it'll – it should be uh, – I'm excited to see, you know, what kind of adjustments they've made w- with some of these new players and new positions. One of the things you're going to want to watch and, and uh, tomorrow night – or excuse me, tomorrow night. Let me get ahead of my <laughs> – Friday night <laughs> when you're out there, Cody, is uh, the linebackers. Uh, after their, their win over Elmar before the bye, uh, Chris, Coach Chris Thurman was really high on how the linebackers played, and they did. They played a very good game. They were quick. They were moving around and getting to the ball. Uh, just something to watch. I mean, Chris Thurman is uh, – you know he's an offensive guy. He's 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 always taking pride in his offenses, and it seems like that this defense uh, is uh, starting to get its find itself, if you will. Uh, and I, I'd be on the lookout for that. Their 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 linebackers had a good game, and that went over Elmar two weeks ago. Well, I know that was one of the most experienced units he had on his team this year. And when I talked to him in the preseason, and he had a lot of youth on that that defense, especially in the secondary. Um, but I know he talked about that unit a lot, and they had a, they had a couple seniors that he, he really thought were going to be strong for them. So um, I think that's going to be the key for that team, too. If they're going to have any chance of making some noise in the district play this year, I think you know their offense is going to be fine, but I think it's going to be their defense is going to have to be better than it traditionally has been the past few years if they have any chance of winning you know, some of these games against some of these better teams. And, and, and there, there is nothing more fun out there, in my opinion, and I'm a defensive guy, so this is tough for me to say. There's nothing more fun than watching a young quarterback develop. And I think you know, with, with Ryan High out at Spotswood, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to watch it. And I think here, over here at Harrisonburg uh, with uh, Keenan Glago, we're going to, or Glago, uh, someone tweet us. Uh, we're going to, we're gonna, I think we're going to really enjoy watching this one grow up as well. But, you know, I'd rather watch, you know, me. I'm a defensive guy. I want to see 15 sacks a game and just utter domination from yeah. like a Khalil Mack type player. Right, right. <laughs> well, we did, we, you know, we did see that last year with Ryan. He kind of grew up with that Spotswood team, and I felt, you know, they kind of became a better team throughout the year, and obviously they they had they won the district championship and all that. But now now they're this real deal. You know, a team with serious postseason. You know, a deep run is very possible. I think that's what we could see with them maybe a little bit is watching Keenan kind of grow up, and then you see that Harrisburg team kind of grow up with them, and then next year maybe we're talking about that team competing for a Valley District title again. And hopefully by next year we know how to pronounce his last name. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, so I'll, I'll try and find that out Yeah, Friday please night. find that out. <laughs> find that out for us. Cody, thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your insight and uh, knowledge on uh, all things high school football, as always, bud, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep, thanks, man. And now we're going to go ahead and bring in Shane Metlin, who's going to talk some Bridgewater College football. Don't look now. Eagles are 4-0 and under 25th-year coach Michael Clark. Well, that was Cody Elliott talking some uh, prep football, as Cody Elliott is uh, want to to do. Uh, now I'm joined by uh, Shane Metlin, uh, who is, uh, you know him as the uh, the JMU women's uh, and men's basketball beat writer, but like we said last week, and I believe the week prior as well, when fall rolls around, uh, Shane's got himself a Division Three football beat, and right now he's probably covering one of the hottest Division Three football teams in the country. Uh, there might be a little bit of hyperbole there when I say that, but they got to be up there. 4-0, Bridgewater College, 4-0, uh, first time since 2013, they're four and zero, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was 2014, but it's been it's been a few years. Yeah, yeah and and just rolling. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, get their first o- or second ODAC win of the season. This over a football only <clears throat> ODAC member, uh, Southern Virginia, out of Buena Vista, and uh, you know, wow. I mean, they're looking good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Southern Virginia kind of surprised some people. They were forcing so many turnovers early in the season to win a couple of games. Uh, beat Hampton-Sydney on the road, which I think was uh, you know a little bit of a surprise to people, and that's 
uh, Bridgewater's next opponent coming up after a bye week. So, you know, they got to feel pretty good about, you know, where that stands as far as, you know, looking at the conference as a whole when you look at it. And they, uh, you know, <clears throat> it was solid wins for Southern Virginia. They weren't expected to do a whole lot coming into the season. But, you know, as, you know, Michael Clark says, the Bridgewater head coach, Sometimes when the team's new in a conference, they kind of get voted last by default. Yeah, and then they and, catch you by surprise on yeah, the football field. Yeah, and they and they didn't have a great year last year, but there's a program that they're kind of building up at a school that's gone through some changes over the years. And, um, you know, yeah, they started off hot, but they didn't look like they were any match for Bridgewater when they got on the field with them. And they were. this was a team that was uh, Southern Virginia, the team we're talking about right now, who the Bridgewater beat 40-6 to this past Saturday. They, they were, I mean, they were just stacking up turnovers by the pellet load. I mean, that, that defense of theirs was just, you know, it was just turnover after turnover after turnover, and, and, you know, here comes Bridgewater. Did they, not, they, did they turn the ball over the, last week? No, they didn't. So they're without a turnover, aren't they? Uh, the offense has one turnover. They have one turnover on special teams. Uh, okay. Only one made at a time that really had any threatened to make an impact on the game at all this year. Uh, they, they played really clean football. <clears throat> you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, we mention his name pretty much every week because he's the quarterback, but uh, Jay Stragans yeah. th- forcing the ball into some tight spaces and making some bad decisions and throwing in some interceptions, especially early in the season last year, was the main concern with him. And he's hasn't thrown an interception all year, hasn't even thrown a ball that looked like it was in danger of getting intercepted. I He's just made great decisions he's he's a grown man i mean he's a fifth year senior i mean this is no kid anymore at your quarterback position yeah but even so i mean he was a veteran last year he was very experienced last year just the difference from september of 2018 to september 2019 is you know really pretty uh remarkable when you look at what he's done completing i haven't looked at the grand total but i know he has to be over 70 percent completion rate um for the season if you add in last week's games, and he just uh, really every pass he's thrown has been the right pass to throw. Even if he's thrown it away, he's made the right decision every time. Could that game have started off any better for Bridgewater? Would a would a ninety four <laughs> yard uh, return of the opening kickoff uh, before the lightnings came and and pushed everyone back for yeah. two hours? But I mean, how perfect of an opening day, opener was that? It it really was, and even more than that, they. Ran uh, Jared Denham, another touchdown for that guy who kind of came out of nowhere for this team. Uh, wasn't, you know, necessarily expected to be one of their main playmakers. But another touchdown for him, another touchdown on a big gainer for him. Uh, they get up 7 to nothing, and probably even more important than that, the defense comes on and it's 3 and out for Southern Virginia. So, you know, you don't give up any of that momentum. You just none of that, like, well... You know, we're 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 feeling good about it going in, and then uh oh, they they came back down and scored, and then and that touchdowns erased. Um, the defense came out and did did their job. Then they which got they're the going to do all year, it seems like. Yeah, I, I, it, it, you know, Rashawn Myers leading the way uh, on that defense. It just seems like that scoring on them is going to be tough. It, it is as long as they're healthy. You know, I don't. It's hard to say, I guess, what their second team is going to look like if they have to go there. They, they've had some guys play late in games, but, you know, it's the garbage time. They, they've done the job, but um, if they stay healthy, there's really no you, – you, you don't know how to attack. I, don't, I look at that team and I don't know how you attack 
Bridgewater's defense? Like, what was the weak spot? You know, it's not the safeties. It's not the cornerbacks. It's not the defensive line. It's certainly, certainly not, not the linebackers. The linebackers, no. the linebackers <laughs> are as good a group as you're going to. That's the cream Ray, of the Rayshon, crop right yeah, now. Yeah, Rayshon Myers gets all the um, attention, but they've got other guy, two other guys playing at a uh, all ODAC level right now, I, I feel like. And, you know, where do you go against them? Because they just have speed all over the field. How how is how is in his twenty fifth year and, and he's obviously he's had success. He played in the Stag Bowl. You know, he coached in the Stag Bowl with this bridge well, not this Bridgewater team, but with the Bridgewater College program. How how is how is a, a veteran coach like Mike Clark uh, Michael Clark handling this. I mean, you know, is he is he kind of te- is he pump- pumping the brakes a little bit? Hey, we're just four and zero. There's a lot of ODAC left, or is he just kind of, you know, is he enjoying the moment? Is he letting the the guys enjoy the moment? I mean, how you're talking to him on a weekly basis? How is he handling this? He he's letting them enjoy the moment, but I mean, he's he's been through this before. This is you know, this is certainly his... not the first time he's been four and zero in a season. Um, it's happened a few times, and there was. A, point where it was happening pretty much every year for this program but for this group it's the first time yeah it is um and he's letting them enjoy it but at the same time you know he letting them also know that there's a lot of work to be done they're gonna face better teams as this year goes on and they know that they you know he i i had somebody from bridgewater the other day tell me oh he doesn't let them look at the paper and I didn't quite have the heart to tell them like yeah they're they're not gonna look at the paper anyway they're getting it on their phone whether you're whether you're handing them the paper or not so they, they know the they they get the clippings they know what's being said they know that Randolph Macon is the defending champs and the team that they didn't quite beat last year and the team that was preseason top 25 so they know that there's that challenge ahead of them they know no matter what they do right now what really matters is where they finish in the conference. So there, there is that. And, and it's, you know, you watch, when they were on the road, I watched, um, you know, the Shenandoah broadcast, and they just keep remarking, like, oh, another senior. Because <laughs> that's what their lineup looks like right now, especially on defense, but also in some key spots on offense and the guys who handle the ball. Like, it's it's seniors, a senior, senior. They, this, if you wanted a group, put together a group and expect them to handle success the right way I can't imagine putting together a better group of players just because of the experience and when you talk to them they're you know level-headed people you're giving Bridgewater respect you have them number one in your ODAC power rankings and then uh so I guess we'll get to the my second part of this real quick what is what needs to happen I mean are you waiting for a Randolph-Macon Bridgewater game to take place to see if if those are flipped do you see any way Randolph-Macon could take that top spot in your power rankings um, Other I mean, than a win, a head-to-head? The win head-to-head would certainly do it. Um, the reason I put Bridgewater number one to begin with is just because of how impressively they've been winning. It's not just that they've been winning. Randolph-Macon's been winning their games outside of playing a really good uh, Johns Hopkins team to start the season. The team is still in the top 25. Um, so I don't really hold that loss against them. But it's you know the fact that they just haven't played as sharply when you look at what they've done, they've made mistakes, they've kind of overcome turnovers and bad plays and come from behind against what you consider lesser teams. So they just haven't been as impressed without, I say that without having seen them in person mm-hmm. or anything, but you know, looking at the numbers and looking at the you know scoring chart and everything, 
I would say Randolph Macon has been as impressive as maybe as expected so far this year, whereas Bridgewater is just games are over at halftime. They're exceeding those yeah. expectations, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, they just Bridgewater is dominated. And even against a good team like Stevenson, they were never really threatened in that one. And so that's the reason I have them number one. That could change. I mean, if Bridgewater's squeaking by, um, you know, cellar dwellers here in the next few weeks and Randolph-Macon becomes the dominant team maybe we were expecting, I, I might consider switching it, but... You know, right now, I feel pretty comfortable that you know Bridgewater has earned that number one spot if we're ranking the conference. Well, I'm glad you're comfortable because that's yeah. my goal here is to make yeah. you comfortable. Uh, hey, I, I, and I don't, I don't want to play the respect card because I don't, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a, you know, I'm just, you know, a sports writer. You know, I'm just watching from afar, just like you are, and and really not having an opinion on the matter. But I guess nationally is is where I get a little uh, confused with Bridgewater. I mean, last week they were getting top twenty five votes uh, in the co- in the coaches. No, in the uh, in one of the polls they're getting top twenty five yeah. votes. This week, despite a pretty dominant win, they got less than they got last week. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what this deal was with that. I mean. I wouldn't want to have to try to rank top twenty-five nationally, division three, no, with the no, number of yeah. teams and the you know the amount of information you have to go seeking out. It's not like you turn on SportsCenter and see what happened in the D three ranks. And there's, your, there's your division three yeah. scoreboard you know, uh, um, on ESPN uh, the Quattro. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do a thorough ranking of the best teams in the country, that that is very difficult. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that they didn't get as many votes this week, but. Part of that could be, I think, I wasn't expecting them to jump into the top 25 because one of the first things I did was look, okay, what did the bottom five teams, what did 20 through 25 do? And they they all won. They all won yeah. fairly easily. And nobody was dropping out of the top 25 this week. So I wasn't expecting Bridgewater to get in. But it is interesting that maybe some of the votes that they did have maybe went, I guess, to teams that were already in the top 25. I don't know. Um, that'd be kind of be my guess if you're going to look at it, but yeah, it, it, interesting and interesting that in the D3.com poll, they're I think getting one vote. So you know, they they could you know start to make a little bit more splash nationally, I suppose, if uh, they continue to do what they've done and maybe grab a win over Randolph. Randolph, uh, Randolph yeah, yeah, but Randolph, that's weeks down yeah, the line. So, Megan, yeah. So we'll see, yeah. Uh, who knows? They're, they're getting some votes, too. Who, who knows? Maybe, you know, depending on what ha- starts happening in places like Wisconsin and <laughs> places like that, maybe, 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 they'll, maybe they'll be a top 25 matchup by the time uh, we get towards the end of the ODAC season. Bridgewater is on the bye this week. Who's up next for him? It's Hampton-Sydney. And that's at Hampton-Sydney? Yep, yeah. Hampton-Sydney's always a tough place to play. It is, yeah. And it's, a, you know, Mike Clark will tell you uh, when he was hired, that everybody told him you have to beat Hampton Sydney. You gotta beat the and sweater they vests. Last, they didn't last yes. year. Um, which I think was, you know, kind of a disappointing result and it was kinda during that mid season point where they just weren't as good of a football team as they were by late October last year. Um, so that that'll be one that I think they wanna get back and, you know, prove that this team is different. Well, hey, you know what to do to follow Bridgewater College Football. Uh, that's uh, you follow Shane Metlin on tw- on Twitter at uh, at 
I asked you this every week. Is it Shane or is it it's Medlin? Shane. Yeah. At Shane underscore DNR Sports. And then uh, later this week, Shane, you kind of, and I'm not going to ask you too much about it because I know you're still working on it, but uh, the CAA does not let, you know, doesn't give the media an option to vote for their uh, women's basketball uh, preseason team and, and women's basketball rankings. I believe that's just done through the coaches. Uh, but you went ahead and said, hey, if they if they would have asked me, this is how I would have done things. And you can see, and, and I mean, they had to be fun to put together when we see it online later this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting up my little explainer on the men's ballot, which I, we've already talked about. And it's been out there on Twitter and stuff, how I voted. But I'm putting out an explainer on that. Should be up later this afternoon or this evening. Um, and then I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing for the women. Just here's what my ballot would have looked like. Here's why. And I think that one will be kind of interesting yeah, because I'm, it's, I'm, it's a it's an interesting league when you look at it just a preview Towson won the conference championship conference tournament last year went to their first NCAA tournament has pretty much everybody back I wouldn't put them higher than fourth hmm. going into this league because it's just that's what's coming back you know you're talking about the women yeah 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 okay it's that um, stacked this year yeah it is the defending the reigning CAA Player of the Year is coming back. I wouldn't have her higher than third on my ballot this year. And that's not necessarily a knock against her. It's just, you know, some things happened last year that were a little bit um, controversial in that decision. And there's some players coming back from injuries and things that are going to make that race for Player of the Year pretty interesting in the CAA. Well, I can't wait to read this one, Shane, and I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, if you you uh, you follow women's basketball, it's definitely going to be worth reading, I think. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today, Shane. We'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks. Well, that was Shane Metlin talking Bridgewater College football, uh, and and th- that's always a segue. And we're talking college football to bring in uh, everybody's favorite. Let's just and he, and he he gets when I say this, he gives me this little smirk, and it's like this 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 little embarrassment on his face when I say this, and it's very it's quite comical. I'm gonna get a photo of it one day when I or a video of it when I when I introduce him. Uh, JMU football beat writer Greg Medea. Greg, you have been a road you t- you wrote about JMU, no place like the road. Uh, Greg, you've been the road warrior the past two weeks, going on three weeks this coming Saturday when you head up to your old stomping grounds on Long Island. I was gonna say at least at least the road this week leads. Back to home. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'll stop in Jersey, see the family, uh, and it'll be a good time. Get some pizza, some bagels, all the carbs that, you know, fat Italian people eat, and, and, and enjoy the trip. Uh, maybe some lasagna, some meatballs. Bring, it'll, it'll, bring back bagels, please. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. I, I, do that. I will give you $10 before you leave <laughs> if you bring back as many bagels you can fit in the back of your car. Greg, uh, you're coming back from Elon. Uh, well, got back from Elon where you just saw an absolute just dominating performance by uh, James Madison and Coach Kurt Signetti's first trip back to Elon since leaving after last season. Uh, 45-10 to the final score. Greg, it does not look like this offense is slowing down. No, not not at all. It was really intriguing to see the game plan that Kurt Signetti and his offensive line coach, his offensive coordinator, put together for this past Saturday for his return to Elon. And and just to just so I touch on that a little bit, uh, Kurt's return I thought was really matter of fact. It was uh, he, he greeted players, shook hands with players after the game. You saw his assistant coaches talking to their former players that they used to coach too uh, before the game. So nothing really crazy on that front. There were some boos. You heard. I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. You heard a little of the boos uh, this past Saturday from the Elon fans, but there were also a lot of JMU fans that that cheered when they took the field. (laughs) So it it, it maybe drowned out some of those boos, but you could still hear it faintly. 
Uh, but other than that, it was kind of matter of fact. And, and JMU took care of business against really what I took away from that, against the defense that had given them fits the past couple of years under Mike Houston and, and Donnie Kirkpatrick and that, that staff where last year against Elon, I think they averaged like 2.6 yards per carry. It was under three, this, yeah. This year, six yards a carry and a 336-yard rushing performance. It was it was really a smart plan they put together. The offensive line dominated, led by Mac Patrick, but they used some two tight end sets, some unbalanced formations where they swung the left tackle, Zaire Bethea, over the far right side on the end of right tackle Liam Fornado. And it really messed with Elon's defense. And and I think it was creative, it was it was intuitive, it showed, you know, just how bright a mind Kurt Signetti. I think we lose that sometimes in the media just because we, we always hear him talking about just how they gotta be focused and driven and whatever. He's a pretty smart X's and O's coach too, when it comes to offense. So that that was my biggest takeaway is that they, they just dominated Elon. How much? How much of that is, is is and more credit to you know Signetti and the coaches he brought over from Elon when he came to Harrisonburg. I mean, how much of that knowledge of that stack defense is because of that? I mean, they you know having practiced against it, having you know developed it or you know I- implemented it. I mean, how much of his ability to confound that stack defense with these you know unbalanced lines and two tight end sets. Uh, you know, how much did that come into play? Oh, I think it was absolutely huge. Even Kurt said it after the game. You know. Practicing against it for two years makes a difference. Tony Trisiani, the Elon coach, goes, you know, there's only so much you can do. You can't change your defensive team just because the other guy knows what to do. And he goes, it's hard to do. Uh, So you can't do that. Trisiani said they had an idea of what JMU wanted to do running the football, and they had some answers for that. But James Madison just kind of overwhelmed them between what they were able to do. And and Elon really could, could not recover, couldn't match the physicality. Because if you think about it, what Jamie was doing, if they're going two tight end sets or unbalanced offensive lines against a 3-3-5, that's going six offensive linemen and tight ends versus three down defensive linemen. That's a mismatch. No, no matter what you do. You're not getting to the quarterback. You're not getting to the quarterback, even if they're bringing blitzes, even if they're bringing guys from the second level linebacker group, and you're just mashing them. And that was – it was – Really impressive, I thought, that they were able to flip that after it was such a problem for them last year. You still expect, like even if Signetti and his staff are familiar with it, that it would still give JMU some issues because those players don't see it all the time. The JMU players don't see it all the time, but credit to Kurt and, and Roblevsky, they, they had a good plan. Uh, the line. I mean, coming into the season, you knew the line was going to be pretty good. I forgot what the number was of, of combined starts. Uh, was it in the 80s? It was 86 career starts coming into this season. For the offensive line. For the line, yep. I, I mean, is this the strong, I mean, is, is it, can we, can you say definite now, this is the strongest part of this football team? Yeah. Because you hinted to it before. I, I think it is, and it was something that Mike Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick knew would happen down the line. I know they, they had said to me at one point, or at least Mike did, that the reason they were playing some of these guys Earlier in their careers, I think Liam Fornado played as a freshman. Even Mac Patrick got in a you know, national semifinal game when they won in Fargo as a freshman. That it would eventually pay off down the road, even if some of those guys were forced into action because of injury or whatever, that it would it would really pay off come year three, come year four when they're in the offense, when they're when they're grown up football players as opposed to the first year. Because it's not easy to play the offensive line early in their career. And it's certainly, you can see it starting to come to fruition now. Is that why this running game is really just 
continuing to prove and improve as the season goes on. And and they have good backs too. That helps. That helps <laughs> think, a little bit. I think you know. So you're saying you or I wouldn't be able to run for 50 yards behind this offensive line? We might get 10. Okay, we I can live 10. with 10. I can live I mean, with 10. You, I mean, you you probably you probably a little faster than me, <laughs> uh, but I I might be able to break a couple tackles. I will not be able to break any tackles. So maybe maybe we get 10, but uh, between Hamilton. Ajay Obisay, Van Horst, those are the three guys I think they're going to see in a regular rotation. That's that's three different running styles. Uh, Hamilton is the pure burst of speed, uh, you know, dip and dash, cut tight back that can do it with the agility and the speed. Ajay Obisay is, is strength downhill, going to mash people, keep the legs moving. And Van Horst is kind of that, that really smart back that can do a number of different things. Uh, has some good vision. I, Kurt said his his vision is elite when he was talking about Van Horst. And then, then they have a decision to make about Latrell Palmer and Austin Douglas, the two true freshmen that have seen action this year. Palmer is massive. He's like 230 pounds and just runs over people with brute strength. I think the, the players call him LeGarrette Blunt. The Jamie <laughs> players refer to him as LeGarrette Blunt. He's this freshman that is just enormous. You see him and you're like, holy cow, that's a running back? So I think they, they really have some things that is tough for other FCS competition to match. Now, those two, when you say decisions make, are those two guys still registered eligible? Yes. Okay. As of right now, yes. Okay. Uh, Palmer, Signetti hinted that he likes the idea of having a late-game bruiser to, to bring Palmer off the bench while the defense is worn down and he's fresh, just going at him and, and wearing him down with the size and speed to kind of melt the clock, and that's what they did against Elon. But not sure about Douglas. He's already played in four. Palmer's played in three. So they, ha- they have time to make those decisions. And maybe it's a wait-and-see thing uh, if they need him for certain games. So I-, I would suspect, though, Palmer will travel with them again this week. He- he's traveled each of the past two weeks. So that- that's kind of where that's at. It's still up in the air, I think. And, and we'll be kind of on a game-to-game basis if they need him. I'll talk real – I want to get your thoughts on the defense where we look ahead to this coming Saturday up at Stony Brook. Uh, I mean, the defense. I mean, it, it, you know, Cheek, quarterback for Elon. It's not like, you know, he, he didn't, you know, it, it's not like he wasn't picking apart other defenses, and he sh- certainly didn't do it to James Madison Saturday. No, and, and he started off the game great with that long touchdown pass he threw to Avery Jones. It was funny. I sit next to the Elon beat writer, and it got go, you know, the game started just like the last one ended with, with Cheek connecting to Jones for a touchdown, <laughs> and he left. And then all of a sudden after that, James Madison's defense figured it out. They got to Cheek five times, sacked him five times. John Dack, I think, off the edge, probably played his best game this season. And he told me, I think, week, week and a half ago, that he was starting to figure out what Corey Heatherman wanted from him. He said it's really hard to play fast when you're kind of unsure what you're doing. He said that was kind of what it was for him the past two weeks, or the first two weeks, excuse me, for a few weeks of the season. And that by the time he started to figure out, the sacks would come, and all of a sudden... The sacks came. He had two the other day. Rondell Carter is just a beast among, you know, players that aren't as good as him. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> a beast there? among players who are not beasts, unlike <laughs> right. him. And, and Robinson with the interception, breaking, yeah. breaking the what was it, three hundred five passes? It was two hundred five attempts. Two hundred and forty straight passes without an interception okay. for Cheek, which is unbelievable. I yeah. think you have to go back to last year when they played South. When Elon played at South Florida, the last time he threw an interception. So pretty incredible run for Cheek, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. 
But, yeah, JMU handled it well. They held Elon to 1.4 yards per carry on the ground. Uh, (laughs) You're going to win a lot of games that way. If that's the formula, run the ball and stop the run, and they execute, I mean, I don't see a team that will give JMU problems this year. I mean, this is the next two weeks are probably going to be the toughest. If they get through the next two weeks, it's – It'll be smooth sailing out of the postseason. Uh, let's start with, uh, you know, in between all the bagels, uh, the Monagoth and the Gabagool, there's a football game Saturday on Long Island. Uh, Stony Brook, Greg, what what, what can uh, JMU fans ex- expect from the Seawolves? Yeah, it, it's a team that's become quietly one of the more consistent programs in the CAA. I was just talking to uh, Dave, the, the JMU play-by-play guy, and I, we're, we're saying, you know, it's really JMU – New Hampshire for what they've done under McDonald the past you know two decades, and then Stony Brook back to back playoff appearances, looking like a third one could happen this year. They're in the top twenty five again. We went to the postseason last year, year before as well as I just mentioned. But Chuck Priori, what he's done there is is really incredible. Built to run the football, stop the run, very similar to what JMU's idea is, and that's something Mike Houston said in the past. It's something Kurt Signetti said this week that kind of mirrors each other, JMU and Stony Brook. Maybe JMU probably has a little better talent, I would say. But, but Chuck has built that program really well. It's it's a lot of fourth-year juniors, fifth-year seniors that play. Uh, he redshirts everybody, so by the time they step on the field when they're needed, later in their career, they're, they're kind of grown men. Uh, those type of players that, that have a lot of experience in practice but maybe just haven't yet done it in a game. Like, they graduated a bunch of offensive talent from last year, and they throw more guys in, and it's not a big deal. Uh, Wednesday's paper, Greg has a, a, a neat story about uh, the, the all the, the top-notch quarterbacks in the CA right now. He kind of touches on them all and provides us with a list of where they are all kind of ranked nationally in the quarterback-driven stats. Uh, how much fun was it putting that one together? I mean, it's just when you got that kind of offense in a league, it's just fun to see those kind of numbers. It's kind of interesting because, right, the, the defenses in the CA the past few years have really dominated – it's something Tony Tristiani mentioned when I asked him. He goes, you know, it's, it's kind of cyclical. It happens every now and then where you get a run of good quarterbacks across the league. And if you look this year, of course, what, what Davis Cheek's doing at Elon, Ben DiNucci, what he's done at JMU through the first five weeks of the season, Tom Flacco at Towson is the reigning CAA Offensive Player of the Year, Tyquell Fields at Stony Brook. He ripped off a 50-yard touchdown run to win the game, kind of saved Stony Brook in that win this past weekend against Rhode Island. Then you got you got players really all across the league. Vito Priori at Rhode Island's done well. Even Albany has found a quarterback. And Albany, you know, who would have thought? Wow, that's like, uh, that's big. Yeah, no, it's, it's big news, right? I mean, <laughs> Jeff Undercuffler is his name. That's a hell of a six, name, six too. Six foot five, he's, he's second in the nation in, in passing touchdowns. And then, of course, what Villanova's got with Danny Smith, the Campbell transfer, who's just been phenomenal since stepping in. He, he was Campbell's, I think he set all kind of records at Campbell, but transferred to Villanova and proven, you know, he can play at, at the CAA level as well. He's got, I think he's second in the country and points responsible for, so he's doing it on the air, in the air and on the ground. So real, really unique set of circumstances in the CAA where everybody's pretty much got a signal caller. Well, you guys got to check out that article. It's in Wednesday's paper, and it's also online at dnronline.com. Uh, Thursday, uh Another episode of the the walkthrough coming, and then uh, you guys know where to go from there. Just start following Greg if you're not already on Twitter, and uh, 
and he'll be up there at uh, on Long Island uh, Saturday covering the Dukes and uh, safe travels for the third straight week, Greg. It'll be good to have you in the office next Friday. I'll tell you that much. It'll be it'll be nice to be settled for a, for a week. <laughs> I, I, I say the nice thing about JMU playing whatever it is for their first six on the road, it means for the final six are at home. Yeah, which, you don't got to worry nice. about much after that. Right, exactly. Well, thanks, Greg, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Sounds good.